building up godly men for a better tomorrow. This is On the Edge with Ken Harrison, where we inspire men of integrity to put faith into action together. Just before we get into today's episode, we'd like to invite you to subscribe to our weekly devotional group. Just text the two words, Promise Keepers, to 31996. Every week you'll receive a challenging devotional that will inspire you to put your faith into action in the real world. Again, text Promise Keepers to 31996. And now, here's today's show. So we're on the, on the Edge podcast with Ken Harrison talking to Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma about the election, about your true calling in the Lord, and about why we really need to care about what's about to happen in a couple of weeks on November 3rd. We need to vote. We need to get involved. Senator James Lankford. Um, it's always a pleasure to have a conversation with you. Thanks for coming up to Colorado, and uh, we're sitting in be- beautiful Beaver Creek, Colorado, and uh, getting ready for the Promise Keepers Boards meeting. You're on our board, and uh, just thanks for having this conversation. Yeah, glad to be able to do it. Thanks for having a board meeting in Beaver Creek, Colorado. Come on, it gives me a good excuse for two days over a very fast weekend. Get out of Washington, be here for two days, head right back to Washington after that. But if I'm going to get away from D.C., it's a great place to do it. You know, I always thought being a senator would be exotic until uh, you taught me differently. It yeah. sounds like a pain in the neck. Yeah, it, it's a lot of peanut butter sandwiches at night, early mornings, late nights, and a lot of work uh, that goes into it. There's a lot of research and background work that's just got to be done. Uh, so it's not all lobster dinners and, and limos. <laughs> and let's get over the fact right now that I have voice envy every time I talk to you. Wow. I mean... Well, well, I'll allow you to be able to work through that. You know? <laughs> You've got like the buzz light your voice. <laughs> I would, I would take that. So let's get straight into uh, issues that are uh, really poignant. And right now, the election is going to be in a couple of weeks, right? And you are a Republican conservative center from a Republican conser- conservative state. You're on Team Trump, if I can say it that way. Sure. How can a Christian vote for Donald Trump? Yeah, it's one of the questions I get asked a lot by people. Uh, and it, it, it's really a fascinating conversation because it boils down to what, what is the goal of any leader that's in your life? If it's a pastor, if it's your dad, if you are a dad or a grandfather, uh, you have a responsibility to be able to be a moral role model. There's also been an expectation for, for a lot of people to be able to say, what is the role of the president? Now, that's been all over the map. Uh, I, I find very few people that say, you know what, LBJ, now that was a moral role model. Uh, Bill Clinton, that was a moral role model. Uh, people just don't say that about him. They'll look right. at the policies on it. But now a lot of people look at uh, President Trump and they say, you know, I, I really like his policies, but I don't like his style. And uh, it, quite frankly, uh, Ivanka Trump during the convention started out with, you may not like his style, but let's talk about what's actually getting done. Uh, and that's the grand challenge that you have in a political conversation. He's not a pastor. Uh, he's made that pretty clear. Uh, he and I have had a lot of spiritual conversations, though, uh, to be able to talk about just his own personal faith journey and what that looks like for him. Uh, but we, we have this grand challenge. We have a set of ideas uh, that drive us to be able to say, what are the ideas that are going to be out there? And how do you determine this? What's the right set of ideas uh, for the country in the future? Um, and that's where you've got to be able to make a decision. Uh, I'm tenaciously pro-life. I believe in the value of every single person, uh, whether they're an infant in the womb or whether they're an adult. The only difference in those two people is time. Uh, some people look at tissue in the womb and say, well, it's tissue. It's as DNA, but it's just tissue. It's not real until I say it's real. I just don't agree with that. Uh, and so I, I'm very passionate about finding people that are also passionate about life. Uh, I'm passionate about the issues of freedom. 
I, I want to know that I have the ability to be able to live my faith and live my values. And my family can also do that as well uh, without any kind of restriction on that to be able to live my faith. That's a big deal. It's been a big deal for President Trump. I've seen him do it. I've seen him demonstrate it. Uh, even recently in the uh, peace accords, we'll call the Abraham Accords, where you've got Israel, uh, United Arab Emirates, and the, uh, and the country of Bahrain, when they're sitting down and making an agreement for the first time in the history of those countries to be able to sit down and say, we're going to start doing trade. When you read the Abraham Accords, the very first paragraph is, we're opening up to religious liberty. Well, that, that's a remarkable thing for the Arab Emirates and for Bahrain to say, we're going to focus on religious liberty, that anyone could be there. In fact, their statement is, especially those of the Abra uh, their, uh, have Abraham in their heritage, that it would be uh, Christians, Jews, and Muslims. Uh, we want to make sure they all are able to be able to live their faith. That doesn't happen without a President Trump presidency to be able to push on that area and to be able to say that this is significant. It has to actually occur. Uh, you look at economic policies and the opportunities that are out there. Uh, again, people will look at it and say, I don't like the way he talks about things. People that have had the opportunity to be able to see what President Trump has done for incarcerated individuals uh, are, are a little shocked by it, quite frankly, uh, because he actually looked inside prisons and said, there's lots of people that are there that are spending a long time uh, on federal uh, charges that are nonviolent, and maybe we should review some of these. And um, we've done it. Uh, you know, he actually passed something called the First Step Act uh, that did several things that were pretty significant. Uh, one of those was changing the way that we do um, um, your, your time, I guess, in prison, if I can say that a way, uh, different between crack cocaine and powder cocaine. You may say, what's the big deal between the two? Well, powder cocaine is typically used by rich kids in the suburbs and crack cocaine was typically used by poor kids in the inner city. Powder cocaine had a smaller time in jail than crack cocaine had. Really? That is inherently racist on its face. That got corrected in the First Step Act. And in fact, it reached back to some of the folks that had been in jail a long time and said, this person got busted for two ounces of powder. This person got busted for two ounces of crack. The person that got busted for two ounces of powder has been out for years. The person got busted for crack. Black man is still in prison. That got fixed. Uh, black unemployment, Hispanic unemployment, uh, female unemplo uh, unemployment, all those things radically changed uh, because the economy was taking off. Again, people will come back and say, you know what, he's been married multiple times. Uh, he's been outspoken on some areas that really make Christians uncomfortable. Okay, that's true, actually. Uh, and I know a lot of leaders that are like that. I know a lot of Christians that work in workplaces where their boss makes them uncomfortable in some of those things as well. But it's an opportunity to say, are we going to get work done together? And how are we going to accomplish some of the bigger goals there? And when I look at some of the bigger goals to be able to say, how are we helping every American, every neighborhood, every place in America, every race, he's done that. And so I, I don't have a hesitation on being able to support him again. Now, again, do he and I tweet alike? No, no, we don't. In, in fact, there, there's this, there's, there's this moment, uh, my wife and I, her name is Cindy. We, we were traveling with the president one day and we're on Air Force One. And he's, I'm sitting right next to him. It's like, he's sitting here. I'm sitting right here next to him. And he's working on a tweet and he turns and looks at me and he says, you wouldn't tweet this. And I laughed. I said, well, you probably shouldn't either then. And he laughed and he said, I'm going to, cause I think it's funny. And so he finished his tweet and he showed it to me. And I said, you're right, sir. I, I wouldn't have tweeted that. And, and we, we have this, we have this just ongoing back and forth where he'll say to me, how many Twitter followers do you have? And I'll say a lot less than you. 
he's like, well, you know what? People like the way that I tweet and they follow me on that. I'm like, yeah, I know, but you're the president of the United States and you also set a role model. He goes, you know what? I got to break through the media because the media is all wrong. They're, they're all against me 100%. I never get a positive story. This is the only way I get the message out is doing this and to get people to follow me. I get his perspective on that. Uh, and it is a unique challenge that he faces to be able to get his point of view out there. It is amazing. I mean, what you just said about Bahrain and whatnot, I didn't know that. Yeah. And so you, these are huge news stories that are just not being covered. Yeah, it never comes out. There was another major peace treaty between Kosovo and Serbia. News didn't even cover it. I mean, that is the powder keg that started World War I. Uh, Serbia has not recognized Kosovo. There are Oklahomans that have served in Kosovo in peacekeeping missions uh, just in the last decade. Uh, they, they have really been at odds with each other. The president and their team reached in, formed a peace alliance now. Serbia has officially recognized uh, Kosovo. And uh, the two of them are swapping diplomatics. Uh, the, the funniest thing of all of it that no one knows on this, and this is probably brand new to a lot of people, in the agreement when we were actually going through the final agreements, our, our State Department uh, and Mike Pompeo and the president's team, the president laid a, a one last thing on the two of them said, before they sign the peace agreement, get them both to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Wow. And so in the final moments of the agreement, both Kosovo and Serbia both also recognize Jerusalem as the capital, and they're going to move their embassy to Jerusalem to also be there with the American embassy and the Guatemalan embassy and other embassies are moving. It's just one of those things that people don't even know of things that he's working on that are important to Christians, that are important to our faith, are important to world policy and politics that just happen. And the media just ignores it and says he's a terrible, horrible human being. But they're saying that because they don't like his policies. There are lots of people in the media that talk the way the president talks that have the same kind of relationships the president has, but they're okay because they're liberal. And so they ignore all those things. Uh, Hollywood ignores their behavior and the way they talk and what they do. And they say, well, we're okay because we're liberal. He's terrible because he has different policies. And that's really what it's all about. So people have just got to decide the message that's coming to them. Look at the policies and look at the issues. Two things that people may take issue with on that. And I want to take on one and then ask you the question on the sure. second one. The first one is people say, well, he's an adulterer. He cheated on his wife. And you guys, not, you weren't in the Senate at the time, but you went after Bill Clinton. And I would say, well, we have to remember that the, the evidence of cheating from Trump was 15 years ago. And Bill Clinton was in the moment in the office. Right. And so there's a huge the differentiation. In the Oval make. Office. Yeah, right. The second, though, is... People who are black are listening to this. You know, Sam Rodriguez, who's on the board with us of Promise Keepers, has said that prominent black pastor, I won't say his name, called Sam after he prayed at the inauguration and said, how dare you pray for him? That man is a white supremacist. So if you're black and you're listening to this and saying, everyone knows President Trump is an avid racist white supremacist, how could you possibly vote for him? You say what to that yeah, concern? So I, I've had the same kind of conversation with friends that are black pastors and other black leaders uh, that have said to me, you know, what? I feel like the Democrat Party has totally left me. I don't like their social values. I feel like they've played me for decades and decades. They've taken advantage of me. They've just assumed I'm going to be there. And so they'll say a couple of token things. They'll show up uh, at some event and then walk away and do nothing. And his comment to me was, I, I'm ready to be a Republican. And then you gave me Donald Trump. And I feel like he's a racist. And I'm like, OK, wait. The president and I have actually talked about this. He's not a racist. The media says it over and over and over again because they know it's such a toxic phrase. They've just stayed on it and stayed on it. But people will say, okay, Charlottesville. The, the, didn't the president say there were also good people on both sides of that? There are these crazy white supremacists that were there marching through. One of them drove a car through and killed people. Uh, and that there were also people that were protesting there. And the president said there's good people on both sides. How can you say that uh, about it? And I, I look at it and say, actually, I think the president was trying to say there, hey, on that street, 
while everything was happening, yeah, there were good people that were there, but the president said over and over since then, white supremacy is bad, it's wrong, is evil. He said it over and over, but the media only runs the first statement, not the rest of it. And it's easy to be able to take Donald Trump out of context. I guarantee you, he talks all the time and says stuff all the time. And, and you can grab any one phrase that he says and take it out of context and run a commercial and, and, and do all kinds of damage in that sense. He's not a racist. Uh, Herschel Walker, uh, you know, standing up in the, in the convention uh, for the RNC, standing up and say, I know my friend and I know he's not a racist. Uh, the multiple black uh, individuals that work in the White House and work around the president or work in the president's cabinet all point to him and say, I work with him every day. He is not a racist. But the media just says it over and over and over again because they know it's toxic and they know that people will say, well, I can't support somebody that's a racist. His policies may be good, but gosh, he's a terrible human being because he's a racist. He's not. Uh, but that's the grand challenge. That's why I saw so many black leaders at the RNC stand up, support the president and say, I'm thinking. I'm actually getting the information. I'm not just going with the emotion. I'm trying to take it to the next level. And I'm not just saying somebody that doesn't support the president doesn't go for just the emotion. A lot of people choose who they're going to vote for for president or Senate or Congress or judge or city council for a lot of different reasons. I get that. I want to respect every American's choice to be able to do that. But don't just believe something that's not true and say that I'm deciding on something, even though that's really not true. That's just been repeated so many times. Surely it must be right when it's really not. You know, I was in a, a room right before COVID came out of about 150 black pastors. And every pastor I talked to said he was voting for Donald Trump. And they also said, but I can't tell my congregation that yeah. they'd run me out of my church. Yeah. Wow. That's, that, I mean, that's quite a statement. And of course, my thing back to them was, look, I'm, I'm not walking in your shoes. But if so many babies' lives would be saved because tr President Trump got elected over what, whoever at the time was going to be the Democrat nominee, do you think you get to stay silent? I mean, I don't want to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and say, hey, I didn't stand up for the truth because I was afraid that I would lose my church. Yeah. And it, it, it's also been really interesting. I've had a bunch of folks that are Christians that have come to me and said, uh, you know, I, I really want to support the party that really supports, you know, children in poverty and education. And there's all these big issues that we look at and say it, it's bigger than just pro-life, meaning pro-life in the womb. Uh, they want to look at after the womb, after they were born, what's actually occurred. Are we taking care of the homeless? Are we taking care of the hungry? Are we taking care of education? All those things. And they'll say, well, the Democrats are the ones that are doing that. I'm like, well, let, let, me, let, me, let me tell you the difference here between the two. Uh, if you look at last year's budget proposal that was out there on the federal level, on homelessness, on education, on poverty eradication, on all those issues you just talked about, uh, the, the Democrats proposed a budget of $1.2 Republicans proposed a budget of $1.1 trillion. So apparently that extra 0.1 means they love people in poverty and the Republicans hate people in poverty. Uh, again, this is a line that the media runs with over and over and over again. It, it would be like if I take all the zeros out of it, if I were to say, you know, they, they want to give $120 to homelessness. And so they love people that are homeless. Republicans want to give $110 to homelessness. So they hate them. It's not true. There's a lot of compassion all over the conservative movement to be able to say, what can we do for education? What can we do for homeless? What can we do for the hungry? How can we take care of people in greatest needs? But we also have this very profound belief that the people that take care of the homeless and the hungry and the hurting the best are families and churches and nonprofits. They're much better than government. And the, the liberal view is really nonprofits and families don't do a good job. We need to bring that all to government and do as much as we can in government to be able to provide that. I just don't believe that's the best way to do it. So the difference isn't who loves the homeless and the hungry? 
The difference is what's the best way to be able to take care of those needs. I believe the best place to do it is not just to write a check and to say, figure it out. That's what the federal government does. That's the only thing we can really do with 320 million people. It's so much better when a church or a nonprofit or a family steps up and says, I'm going to walk with you through your addiction. I'm going to walk with you through this hard time. And we're going to do whatever we can to be able to live life together. Those churches and nonprofits are so much better at this. And whatever we can do in our tax policy to empower them actually meets the needs better than just saying, let's get as much tax money as we can and mail money to as many people as we can. And that solves the problem. It doesn't. Look look at what's happened over the decades. It doesn't solve the problem. So again, it's this great farce that's out there uh, to be able to say, well, I'm going to go with somebody that really wants to take care of the homeless and the hungry. Okay. That's actually both parties. I don't run into a Democrat that doesn't want to take care of the homeless and the hungry, and I don't run into a Republican that doesn't either. Just the Republicans want to make sure we're empowering churches and nonprofits even more than what we're doing while still doing a lot of federal funding as well. The numbers aren't really that different. It's the method of actually getting it done. And I think it's important to note, too, as a guy who's run a lot of companies, that when you say you want to give 9% less money, it's not that you want to give 9% less money. It's about efficiencies because big companies, you're talking about the government, that's the biggest company there oh, is. Yeah. Big companies have massive waste. They have their buddy that they pay off to get this and this special job for this person. And so what Republicans are saying is we want more money to go to those people there's this massive amount of bureaucracy and waste that goes on because when you want big government, the more money you get to more people, they yeah. become addicted to your money and they vote for you. Yeah. And, and again, it's a philosophical issue. Yeah, Promise Keepers, obviously, in this conversation is not a political, we're not, we're not affiliated with some party, but it, it's just a, a factual conversation to say that the, the national media and the national dialogue and what you see on social media and God help you if you believe everything you see on social media on it. Uh, but all of those things that go out there, uh, just paint a picture and and create this image of government is so efficient and is so effective at what you're doing. But if you talk to the people that actually work for government, most of them are so frustrated because they're in the bureaucracy. They see the waste every day and they think, if only we could do the things that really target and help people the most, there's so much more that we could do. Uh, it's not that people that work in government are evil. They're not They're not evil people. I, I know just tons of people now that work in the federal government. They bust their tail and they work hard and they're serving their neighbors, but they're stuck in a bureaucracy that's enormous. Uh, and, and they want to be able to do whatever they can to be able to help. And many of those folks work in government during the day and on weekends and other times go volunteer at nonprofits because they know they're actually getting the work done. Mm. All right. So nice transition. We have an election coming up. Let's talk about that. So Steve Daines, who actually is the guy who introduced you and me, yeah. um, senator from Montana, right. great guy, outdoorsman, just yeah. such a, a great man. He's in a race for his life. And it's weird because you got Montana who went 20 points for Trump last election around. He probably will again. And yet Montanans are weird. You know, they, they turn around the same election and they vote for a Democrat yeah. for governor who's now running against Steve. Talk about some of the really important races and why they matter so much. Yeah. And also, why does who controls the Senate matter so much? So let me, let me take those in reverse. The, the Senate really does matter because it's not just different than the House. It's completely different than the House. Uh, a lot of people say, well, the House is on the south side of the building, the Senate's on the north side of the building. And you started as a congressman. I did. So I started, in both. Yeah, I started four years in the House, and then it now served six years in the Senate. Uh, so folks will say, you know, the, the House on the south side, the Senate's on the north side, but there's really no difference. It's just two bodies. They function different. Their rules are different. Their job is actually different. Uh, where the House does just pol uh, just policy, all they do is legislation. But the major focus in the House is tax and spending. That is controlled in the House. And constitutionally, 
all spending, all tax has to begin in the House. Uh, so it's a major player in what happens in the, in the spending in the country. In the Senate, uh, we do both policy because obviously we've got to also approve all that spending and budgets and everything else. But we also do personnel in the Senate. The House has nothing to do with personnel. Every person that the president picks to be able to be in the cabinet, to be the deputy secretary assistant of whatever fill in the blank agency, uh, all of those have to come back through the Senate and actually be confirmed. Uh, so we do half of the, our time in uh, policy and half of our time in personnel on it. Uh, so all the judges, for instance, and there's been a lot of conversation about judges. Every single federal judge in the bench, district, circuit, or Supreme Court, all has to come uh, through the United States Senate. And if they're not affirmed by the Senate, they don't go on the bench. Uh, so the president actually picks them and says, this is the person that I want to be able to put there. But if the Senate says, no, we disagree, then they don't actually go. And there have been times, even with a Republican Senate, uh, that we've looked at a certain candidate that the president has put out and said, no, we, we don't agree. Uh, that 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 even that this has not been this is not just a rubber stamp. Uh, this is an ongoing dialogue between the Senate and the White House, and so you'll see a lot of interplay between the Senate and the White House to be able to move different pieces of policy because of the relationship on the personnel side uh, for the Senate. It's not uncommon for a senator to say, "I want the White House to focus on this policy issue, and I'm not going to approve any people in this agency, any personnel, until this gets resolved on this whatever this issue is." Uh, so the Senate is a very powerful body just because of its relationship with any White House and because of judges, because of the personnel uh, that are in each body, uh, and quite frankly, because of the direction of policy. We have something in the Senate that doesn't exist anywhere else in government. It's called the filibuster, and it drives everybody crazy in the country. But the, what the filibuster is designed to do is always give the minority voice an opinion. The minority voice doesn't have an opinion anywhere else in government, not in the House of Representatives. It's pure majority. You got 218 people, you can do whatever you want to. If you're in the executive branch, you work for the president, there's no other second voice there. If you're in the courts, uh, it's a straight majority rule in the courts as well. Nine people in the Supreme Court, five to four, it's done. Doesn't matter what the minority thinks on it. In the Senate, it's different. The Senate requires that both sets of voices are always heard. It slows everything down, and it's the one piece in our government to make sure that nothing gets railroaded through. Everybody's got to talk. It's what made the first two years of President Obama's time so unique that he got so much legislation through, like the Affordable Care Act, like Dodd-Frank to totally change all of our finances in the country. All those things were done when they had 60 people in the Senate that were Democrats. And so for the first time in a very, very long time, they didn't have to consider the minority voice. Republicans didn't matter those years. They could just ram through whatever they wanted to. It's important to be able to keep that principle in place. And I can assure you, conservatives get mad and say, you know, we need to just get rid of the filibuster and do whatever we want. But there's a real reason to be able to have it because structurally, we always want a place as Americans that all voices are heard and people don't get run over. Conservatives know what they felt like in 2009. Everybody was mad, like, whoa, government's not supposed to be running over us. Where's our voice? How come we're not being heard? It's You weren't because the Senate had been shut down with 60 voices in the Senate. So it matters who's in the Senate. Right now, there's 53 Republicans, 47 uh, Democrats. And there's a lot of races around the country that are very, very close. You mentioned the Steve Daines race in, in Montana. That'll be a very, very close race. Probably 50,000 people will decide that race. Uh, so it's a, a relatively small number of people. Montana's not a huge populated state. We'll have about 600,000 voters. Uh, about half have probably already decided where they're going to go already on that on either side. And about 50,000 will actually sway that election one way or the other. Colorado's another one. Iowa, Arizona, 
uh, Alabama, uh, Maine, North Carolina, uh, two seats in Georgia. Uh, there's just uh, Michigan. Uh, there's quite a few states that are um, uh, Minnesota now. There, there's quite a few states scattered around the country that literally it's a toss up. No one does knows Minnesota have a competitive go. Senate race? It does actually. Oh, yeah. Minnesota has a competitive Senate race. Michigan has one. Uh, so there, there, there are multiple that are out there. Uh, that it's either Republican or Democrat that's on the ticket at this point, but it's a toss-up on it. Uh, when people look at it, all the polling shows it's basically within the margin of error. It could go either direction on it, and it just matters who shows up. I, I do get frustrated. I have to tell you, when people say, I only vote on presidential election years, or I only vote for the president, I don't track all the rest of those folks. Well, all the rest of those folks matter. City councilmen, school board, uh, your mayors, your governor, uh, your your house representatives, your state uh, representatives and state senators, your U.S. senators. You you got to do a little bit of homework to be able James, to ask questions. How, how, where do people go to find that stuff out? I mean, especially city council, school oh, board. Yeah. How do you know? Super hard. Yeah, super hard to investigate all that because a lot of times local media it really doesn't even cover it. And a lot of those are nonpartisan races. There are people that say, I'm a Democrat or Republican. And so I always just look for the initial on the back of it. And a lot of those local races, there is no affiliation on it. Uh, you just got to be able to do your homework. And some of that's just asking people that have worked with them, uh, finding out where they are, go into their website to be able to get additional background and information and uh, do a little bit of homework. In this day and age, literally any of us can sit down in our living room and take a computer or take your phone and find out about a lot of people on issues that we used to not be able to do, but now we can. Uh, but you got to do a little bit of digging. You can also get a copy of your ballot uh, and see exactly who's going to be on your ballot ahead of time. Your state election boards uh, will always have that out there. And so you can see how many people are going to be on my ballot. Uh, so you don't show up thinking, I'm going to vote for the presidency and go, oh my gosh, who are these 10 other people that are here uh, that have also got to decide on? That way it gives you the opportunity to be able to decide ahead of time. We hear a lot of stuff and you, you kind of wonder, well, what's fear and what's real? And so two of the things that we've heard is the, the you talked about the importance of the filibuster. And we've heard that if the Democrats take over the Senate, they're going to get rid of 200 years of Senate tradition. We've also heard that if the, if the Senate, if the Democrats take the Senate and the White House, they're going to load the Supreme Court. Because most people don't realize there's nothing magical about the nine justices. The Constitution doesn't say. And they've said, oh, we're going to put 20 justices to make sure that we just lock socialism in, lock abortion in, take away your gun rights. How realistic is that? So several Democrat senators have made the, the very public comment that we think the Senate's, uh, that the Supreme Court has become too politicized. And so we're going to just add in as many people as we want to be able to add in to make sure that we switch oh, That'll over. take off away which, all the politics. Which, which again, is, is great <laughs> on its face. You think, okay, you're saying it's become too politicized. So you're going to make it even more politicized. It's, it, that's, a, that's a real threat because there's quite a few senators have made that public statement to say that's the direction I want to go. The second thing that's come out there that a lot of people haven't heard is uh, there's several uh, Democrat senators that have said the first thing that they want to do is also make Washington, D.C. a state and because Washington, D.C. votes 80 percent Democrat. And if they make Washington, D.C. a state, then they get two more Democrat senators. And right now, for instance, we have 53 to 47 uh, on Republicans in the Senate. Um that switches immediately. The next comment was they feel like that Puerto Rico should become a state because they will also get two Democrat senators from Puerto Rico, uh, and that would add even more. And if they add Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C. as a state to guarantee two more senators on each side, uh, I, I would tell you it's not because of their great compassion for Washington, D.C. or for Puerto Rico. Well, Puerto Ricans uh, voted down statehood over and over again. Correct. Uh, so it's, it's really all about gaining power in the Senate for them. Uh, it's really about making the declaration. And constitutionally, Washington, D.C. can't be a state. 
Uh, it's supposed to be a district uh, separate from any other state, not owned by any state. So the federal government's not under the guise of any state and has to be able to work that out. But they've been very clear. Uh, they want to be able to do statehood. And the reason on that is junk the Constitution. We want two more Democrat senators, uh, and that'll give us a greater majority. And then we won't have to worry about negotiating other things. You take away the filibuster, you change the Supreme Court, you add two more uh, um, senators from D.C., Republicans never see leadership in the Senate ever again. Uh, it's basically they can move through whatever they want to be able to move through at whatever pace they want to move it. And now that's not fear mongering. Those are statements that have been made uh, by Democrat senators. That concerns me because it challenges us as Americans to say, I'm going to take away your ability for elections to swing. People look at what happened in 2010 in the election with this big Republican wave that happened. And then we saw a big Democrat wave that then took over the House of Representatives. Americans get to decide, but if they rig the system to be able to say, I'm going to rig the system to no matter what Americans do, we're going to actually be in charge on it. Americans feel that and, 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 ex and will express their frustration with that. You know, all these guys, you're friends with them. Yeah. Um, are there Democrat, are, are they so unified in wanting power or are there Democrats that are saying, no, we're, we're a constitution, a republic. I won't go along with this power grab, even if it benefits me in the short term. I, I, I hope that's true. I don't know that that's true. Uh, let me get, let me give you, it, it, well, let me, let me give you the reason I say that 60 people four years ago signed a document in the Senate saying we do not want the filibuster to go away. 60 people, 30 Democrats, 30 Republicans. Those 30 Democrats have all turned now and said, I've changed my mind. Now I want to get rid of the filibuster. So just four years ago, they were like, no, we've got to protect the rights of all sides to be able to be heard. Now the liberal outside groups are pushing them so hard to say, if, if Joe Biden wins and if we win the Senate even by one person, we want to get Joe Biden's agenda through. And the only way to do that is junk the filibuster and get through as much as we possibly want to get through. It is literally a, a statement of, okay, I know I believe this before but the moment requires some other situational ethic and I've already shifted. And I've had quite a few of those folks that I've talked to and said, how in the world can you make that shift? And they said, you just don't understand the outside push that I'm getting from Planned Parenthood, from all these other organizations that are saying, we won't help you with funding. We won't help you. We will make sure that you lose your next primary unless you stand with us on this one because we've got to have it. So it's not ideology, it's money. Uh, it, it's, it is money. It is pressure. It is protest. Um, a lot of folks have seen the protests that have been around the country all this summer, and they forget that a lot of Democrat senators and House members have also faced that kind of protest as well from liberal protesters. Uh, Chuck Schumer had 3,000 protesters in his front yard on a Saturday morning saying he's not opposing President Trump enough that he needs to do more to fight against him. So liberal protesters coming to a liberal senator's front yard and yelling and screaming and protesting at him, making his life miserable uh, so he can go even more to the left. Uh, this push towards socialism and this active group that is out there that really wants to be able to maintain control based on volume, uh, it's real. Uh, there, there's a very active group that will say, you will do things the way that I want you to do, or I'll come to your house, I'll protest your family, I will do whatever I can to be able to take you down personally. Uh, until you do my way. I mean, I mean, it is Animal Farm, 1984. Um, it, it's 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 amazing to be able to see what has actually occurred with the socialist movement uh, that is moving through the country right now. It is really about power, silencing people of faith, silencing people that disagree with a economic perspective, 
uh, silencing people that want to be able to talk about debt and deficit. They have this, what they call this new monetary theory, uh, where they believe the amount of debt in the American economy doesn't matter. We can print as much as we want to uh, because we are the major currency in the world. So uh, all this doesn't matter. And they just call it new monetary policy. Uh, I, I believe it does. I believe we're way over our head in debt and deficit right now. We've got to be able to address that. They would say, nope, we shouldn't even discuss that anymore. So there there really is a, a dramatic difference. This is not just about liberal professors on with an ideology in a university. Uh, this is a growing conversation that's happening among people all around the country to say the constitutional system that we have that has made us the envy of the world, that has made us the strongest, most powerful, wealthiest, most moral democracy in the history of the planet is wrong. And everything about it was wrong. And we need to be able to tear it down and redo it some other way. That's not theory anymore. That's real conversation about how to do it. Today's episode is brought to you through the generosity of Waterstone. For nearly 40 years, Waterstone has assisted givers in supporting their favorite charities, like Promise Keepers, by crafting customized, innovative giving solutions. Waterstone gift strategists stand ready to create your personalized charitable plan, utilizing business interests, real estate, appreciated assets, charitable trusts, giving funds, and more. These donor-specific giving strategies allow givers to bypass capital gains taxes, receive a fair market value charitable deduction, and have tax-free growth for years to come. Prioritize income, minimize taxes, and optimize your giving with Waterstone. Find out how to give and receive the most from your assets by visiting www.waterstone.org. And now, back to today's show. James, I want to. There's a lot of people listening to this, and they're they're really hearing your words, but they're also wondering who you are as a person. How credible are you? And I think it's important people know you. You don't. You never sought power. You're a pastor. Yeah. You went to seminary, and God called you to run for Congress and then run for Senate. And uh, just to, to pull people in and go, this is not some political conversation. You're not some guy that wants to run for president in four years. You've actually kind of eschewed this the entire way. <laughs> And the Lord has pulled you in. And so talk a little bit about your journey becoming one of the hundred most powerful men in the world today without so, trying to. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, the, my wife calls this life's greatest interruption for us. Uh, I was, I was 22 years <laughs> in ministry. Promise keepers is that for me. Is, yeah, I get it. it. I was 22 years in ministry. I was doing youth ministry, in fact. And we've had a lot of pastors that have served in Congress. I don't know that we've ever had a youth pastor uh, serving in Congress. And uh, for some people that uh, excites you that a youth pastor in Congress is in Congress, and some people it would terrify you, depending on your relationship with the youth pastor at your church. But th that's what I did for 22 years. I love serving students and families. I directed the False Creek Youth Camp. Uh, it's the largest Christian camp in America. Now, do you play the guitar? I do not play the Isn't guitar. Isn't that required to be? I was actually a drummer, uh, so I didn't, <laughs> didn't didn't play the guitar. But that you would think keyboard or guitar is one or the other on, on most of us. Uh, so I, I, but I loved doing that. Assumed I was going to do that the rest of my life. And in two thousand eight and nine, God completely interrupted our life and called us to run for Congress. And it, it's a much longer story, but it wasn't like lightning in the clouds. It wasn't, you know, some message. It wasn't, dear James, thou shalt run for Congress. It wasn't anything like that. It was, it was this overwhelming sense that this is what I had to do. And for seven months, I struggled with that because I, I have no background in politics. I'm not a lawyer. I have no one in my family that's in politics. I, I don't have money personally. I mean, I don't have any of that. But it was this over and over and over again of this is what follow me looks like. 
Hmm. And it was, if you've told students for years that the calling of God is to follow me and you've got to trust him. Now it's your turn. You've got to do this. And so for seven months, I told God, this is crazy. And for seven months, he said, follow me. And so I resigned my position in September of 2009 and announced to my friends I was running for Congress. And they all said, you're running for what? And I said, I'm running for Congress. And they said, that's great. There's no chance because people like you don't win. Uh, we had a seven-way primary. Yeah, because in Oklahoma, you have like just yeah. a ton of known oh, Republicans. Oh, and have great people uh, that are there. there. There's a ton of great. And it, for me, it was over and over again. God, there's, there's four million people in Oklahoma. And there's a lot of great folks that are there. Well, wh why am I doing this? He just said, follow me. You, you have a task. Uh, I prepared you for this task. Uh, so ran uh, one in 2010 uh, in a seven-way primary and then in a runoff a month later and then in a general election in November, uh, one again uh, two years later. And then two years after that, there was a special election uh, for the Senate, won that seat in the Senate. Uh, served for two years, then had to run again uh, two years later on that to serve a full six-year cycle. Um, so it, it's been a little bit of a whirlwind for us to say the least, but through it all, we've heard God say, this is what follow me looks like. And, and I really do believe, and I've met some of these guys, and I remember back in March of 2009 saying to my wife, I, I just, I don't know why we're supposed to do this, but I know we're supposed to do this because I've met that man that's 70 years old that tells me the story about how he didn't follow God's call when he was 30 because he was afraid to, and he didn't do it, and he's 70, and he still regrets it 40 years later. Or he's the 85-year-old man telling his grandchildren about the time he didn't follow God. I said, I know that guy. I, I don't want to be him. If God calls us to do something, we can't live in fear and say, God, but I don't know how that would actually happen. We have to make the decision to say, okay, if this is what you're really calling me to, I'm going to trust you with the result and where we're going to go from there but I'm going to do it with all my might. My worst case scenario is to be elected in a Congress and to be ineffective at the job because then people would say, don't ever hire a Christian in politics because they can't get the job done. Uh, I want people to be able to say, if you want somebody that's going to get the job done, it's going to work as long as it takes to be able to get it done, hire a Christian because they'll have that Christian work ethic. They'll do it with integrity. They'll do the hard work that needs to be done. They'll listen to the people fairly and they'll live the biblical principle that's out there all the way back from the book of Leviticus, equal weights and measures. The, the general fairness, whether you're black in the inner city, whether you're a black wealthy person in the suburbs, whether you are a male, female, whoever you may be in whatever occupation you be, the biblical principle is everyone is to be treated the same, have the same opportunities, the same e equality in that. That's the equal weights and measures uh, that God condemns when they would change the measurement for certain people when they came, came to buy grain and say, well, you're, you're one of those people, so I'm going to change the measurement. God said, I hate that. I want everyone to be treated fairly. That's a biblical principle. And uh, I want people to be able to know uh, this is not just a good idea for our culture now. It's been a good idea for every culture, just most cultures don't. And I want people to hear you. You're a sitting U.S. senator. You're the guy that gets to walk around and say, everyone should kiss my ring. And you're saying, no, uh, in my faith, we're going to be equal. I had the exact opposite call of you, actually. I, I never told you the story, but I had a bunch of guys fly out to Denver um, from all around. You know the guy, but I won't say his name on this. But in 2016, and he said, we know Trump's going to lose the election, and we want to recruit you to run for Senate in Colorado. And, you know, you XLAPD, business guy, you know, perfect. And, um, 
And I said, geez, I'm not a, I'm not a Senator type. I, I mean, I'd shoot myself if I had to do what you do. Um, they said, we'll run for governor of Colorado and we're going to pay for it. We're going to raise the money. And I prayed about it and the Lord gave me an overwhelming no, no. And I said, but God, you know, I mean, listen to what they said. I'm yeah, they're gonna me. And yeah. God said, you're not the perfect guy. Cause I'm saying no. And of course I didn't know promise keepers was going to come along in a year. Uh, and so it's important. You were called to run for government. God specifically called me not to run for government. And I think as people listen to this and think, where do I end up in God's will? It's so important that we pick up our cross daily and follow him. Not what I want, Lord, but what you want. And man, I, I'm so glad to get here to be at the Promise Keepers board meetings. And, and God has just blessed us with such awesome board members. It's been such an honor and a privilege. Way better than being a stupid senator. <laughs> yeah, it's a, lot, it's a lot more fun to be able to do this. The, the, it, it is amazing to me the number of people that will boil down Christianity to a set of, set of rules and will say, I live moral. I'm nice to people. I'm polite. Uh, I got good manners that my mom taught me. And that's what it's like to be a Christian. I'm like, that, that, that is not it. Uh, if your faith is something that affects your weekends, that's not a faith, that's a hobby. A hobby is something you do on weekends. A faith is something that permeates every part of what you do, and it begins with a very basic principle. It's the decision of who do you follow? A am I the boss of my life, or is God the boss of my life? Uh, are the principles that I live by the ones that were passed down from my dad and my grandfather or from my mom or from somebody I saw on TV or some musician? Are those the principles that I live? or the principles and the instructions that I live based on the teachings of God's word. And, and I, because I know God's word, uh, that that's the principles I live. Am I trying to just be able to follow the instructions or am I trying to listen to the leadership of the Holy spirit? Uh, when he said, come follow me, that wasn't like here, read this book and figure it out. That is important, but it was a personal connection to say, I, I want you to know me and I'm going to guide your life and I'm going to interrupt your days at times because I want to use you to bless other people, starting with your own family. And I think so many people in their faith journey just miss that most basic principle of follow me. He's going to guide us if we're going to listen and to be able to follow him. And not, not everybody's going to end up in a senator, and that's a good thing. Please don't ask God for that. It, 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 it's, it's not what you think it is uh, as far as the workload and the task that's involved in it. But if you'll ask God to be able to use you and say, God, if you'll speak to me, I'm listening and I want to be able to follow you, he'll probably come back to you and say, okay, great. Let's talk with your relationship with your wife first. Because yeah. if we're going to deal with something else, you got to solve this issue with your wife first because you have a broken relationship there. Let's get that solved. We got to deal with the issue with your children because you exasperate your kids. And as a dad that directly violates the truth of scripture. You either abdicate your responsibility and say, oh, I'm really going to let my wife handle that. She's the one that handles the kids. So you're abdicating your responsibility that God gave you to be a part of that and a leader in your family, or you're being the one yelling at your kids, assuming that that's the right way to be able to do that, which is also not a biblical principle. Listening to God's leadership starts at home with how he guides us and then saying, okay, God, what's the task that you have for me uh, to be able to actually do, to be able to serve in my church? at a nonprofit around me, at my work and my neighborhood. Uh, it's a scary thing to be able to stop with God and to say, God, what is it you want to do with my life? I've got all these days. I don't know how many there are. What do you want to do with them? And just set it out there and see what God says he wants to do. It's a terrifying ask uh, because you never know where he's going to take you and what he's going to do. And, you know, one of the things about being an effective leader is putting up with criticism. And, you know, when you know people, it's one thing to put down people in politics when they're just 
objects to you, right? Yeah, they're a commercial. But when we're friends, you know, and when I heard Tucker Carlson put you down a couple of months ago, I was immediately incensed because he did so with so little information. I immediately texted you and you texted me back like he doesn't know what he's talking about. How do you handle I mean, it, you're not just getting criticized by anybody. You're getting criticized on national TV by a guy who is supposed to be on your team. Yeah. Who's just doing out of complete ignorance? How yeah. do you deal with that? He, he just didn't have the facts on it, and, th- and, th- and that's the challenge. And, and right now, in media, uh, in social media, and in the national media, uh, it's all about the reaction, and it's all about how many clicks you can get on a story. So make the headline as inflammatory as you can. When the story really doesn't match the headline, doesn't matter. I just need to get a lot of clicks on it. Uh, if you can show a conservative is losing their way, uh, the conservatives <laughs> always want to read that story because they always get mad, going, "I knew it, I knew it, I knew it." You know, there's 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 a conservative that's lost their way. I'm sure they would, uh, and so conservatives immediately. Uh, believe that. It, it's funny to me the number of people that are conservatives that never believe the media unless they're attacking conservatives and they're like, yep, that's got to be true. Uh, so a- again, not everybody gets it right. It's the reason even President Trump has been so frustrated with Fox News lately to say, hey, this, this part's fake news. It's not true. Not everybody gets it right every time. And sometimes you have to admit that's okay, but we're the, when you're the person in the middle of it, it gets really frustrating. It's even worse on social media. I mean, the things that people put out on social media uh, most of the time, they would never say to your face. Uh, I have people all the time that uh, my staff will come in and say, hey, there, there, there's a call that's here. Would you make this call? We've seen some of the things they said on social media about you. Would you be willing to be able to call them? And I'm like, yeah, I'll call them. And when I call them, they're like, Mr. or Mrs. Polite. Right. Oh, right. no, I didn't mean anything by that. But on social media, they'll say all these crazy, wild conspiracy things. And and you realize it's just trying to be able to stir people up and to get be able to get hits or likes or whatever it is they're trying to be able to do and to try to be popular online. Popular online based on destroying somebody else is not who we are as believers. So we do even social media different uh, based on who is our Lord and who we choose to be able to follow. Now, we can, we can call people out, uh, but there's this basic principle about Matthew 18 that social media doesn't get. Uh, and that's if I've got a problem with you, I come to you and try to resolve it. And if the two of us can't solve it, I get a couple of the folks that we trust and we all sit down together and try to resolve it. And then if we can't resolve it, then it broadens out. Boy, that's not how it works in journalism and in social media and everything else. If you can find somebody that has some problem, just call them out, get a picture, cancel them, you know, find some way to be able to attack them because then you'll get more clicks and more likes because you're the man because you called somebody out. When really all you did was violate every biblical principle and destroy even more relationships uh, across the country. Um, but when you're in the middle of it, it's tough to do. It's amazing how bold some people are when they can't get punched in the face. Yeah. I, th- I say we bring back punching in the face somehow. It's probably not, also not a biblical concept. But oh, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. Shoot. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if somebody's listening to this, especially if they've heard this and two weeks from now, Donald Trump loses, we lose the Senate. We have no idea. And now they're saying, I want to get in politics. I'm passionate. How does someone start? Someone sitting at home in Oshkosh or Omaha or wherever yeah. going, I want to get involved in politics like James Lankford did. How, how do they do that? Well, the beginning for me didn't start with, I want to do it. The beginning for me started with a sense of God calling me to say, go do this. Uh, so I, I go back to people and say, don't crave the position, crave the person that you're going to follow. Uh, if you're If you're about pursuing a title, you're going to, you're going to miss out every time. Because the goal of the Christian life is not to get the best title. The goal of the Christian life is to be able to follow the one who spoke and made the world and who seems to know more than we do. Uh, so awesome so, advice. But what if they're just righteously yeah. indignant? 
No, no, they're absolutely engaged on that. So I, I tell people, get involved in campaigns, get involved in the facts and figures, get involved in volunteering to be able to help. Uh, if they want to run, go run. Uh, they feel like God's calling them to do it. Absolutely do it. School boards, city council, county commission races, parish races. Uh, there's state uh, representatives um, and senators, U.S. representatives. There's all kinds of roles that are out there. And what's interesting is for many of these roles, literally they win with 100 or 200 votes. Uh, for a lot of the city council and school board races and local races, uh, 100 or 200 people make a world of difference on it. Uh, there, there are several churches in Oklahoma that realize the representative for their area really doesn't represent their values. And so their church just said, okay, God, like you did in the New Testament with calling out apostles and disciples, would you help us to be able to pray as a church about who should be called out to be able to run? And their church just started praying about this. And after a couple of weeks of praying, went to one of their members and said, would you consider running for the House of Representatives? We feel like God's leading you to run and he's speaking to us and we want to do that. They prayed about it. They stepped in and then their the group just stepped up and said, we're going to volunteer and we're going to help. Uh, th there are a lot of bodies that are like that, that they realize if they'll really look at what it takes to be able to win some of these elections, they can flip it. Uh, quite frankly, there are some folks on the left that have been very active in flipping city council races. Uh, and we've seen that in places all over the country. We've seen uh, in Portland, Oregon, uh, where the, literally the city council voted that the local police cannot cooperate with the federal police and said, you can't help the federal police. We're going to isolate them in the courthouse and they got to defend themselves and local police aren't going to be there to help at all and forbade the local police from engaging. I can't even imagine local law enforcement, how frustrating that was for them. But that was a liberal city council that had won with very few votes to be able to win it. And then they just stepped out and said, this is what we want to be able to do. So if somebody wants to be able to step out and run, go run. Go honor God with what you do and how you do it. Um, and But go engage in it. And you'll find that if you'll go do the work, uh, there's work to be done. Um, one, one quick statement. I've had lots of folks when I first ran said, you left ministry. You're in ministry for 22 years. You left ministry. So my, my comment to them, was, I, I haven't left ministry by far. Uh, in fact, if you look at the Old Testament, 36 of the 39 books in the Old Testament were written to, by, or about a political leader. 36 of the 39 books written to, by, or about a political leader. Uh, if you look at a third of the pages of the New Testament, uh, not the total books, but of the pages of the New Testament, the book of Luke and the book of Acts, both of those were written to a political leader to be able to explain the truth of the gospel to them. If you look at Paul's calling, when Saul was struck blind on the road to Damascus, his calling was to be a disciple to the, to the Jews, the Gentiles, and the Gentile kings. And you look at the rest of the book of Acts over and over again, you find that same pattern to him. He goes before the Jews in the synagogue. He goes before the Gentiles outside. He ends up in front of political leaders. It's clear that God has an interest in what's happening in politics. It's not that we're a theocracy. We're not a theocracy. We're a republic. But it is clear that God, as the creator of government, is interested in who's actually serving in government as well and what their values and what their morals really are and what their priorities are. So for folks that are hesitating and saying, gosh, politics is such a dirty business. It's like journalism or Hollywood or all these things. It's such a dirty business. I don't know if I want to get into it. I'll say to them, what is better, no salt or salt being applied? If you have an interest in getting involved in that, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. Go apply salt to it and see what happens. Imagine if Esther hadn't been queen. Yeah. Um, the, the people of, of the Jews of Persia would have been wiped out. Yep. 
So what do you say to pastors who say, well, you know, our church doesn't take a stance on politics. We, we can't get involved. I, I actually discourage pastors from making political statements from the pulpit. We're, we're kingdom-minded folks. We have a bigger kingdom than the United States of America. And I know some pastors freak out like, oh, America's really important. It's God-given. It is God-given. We have a kingdom that's bigger. But here's what I do challenge pastors to. They shouldn't be afraid of what's happening in culture and to be able to speak truth to culture. So there are lots of biblical principles that are being discussed in politics. If the church never talks about those things, the people sitting in the pews just assume the Bible doesn't speak to those issues. Does the Bible speak to marriage? Yes, it does, actually. Does the Bible speak to the value of every human life and the dignity of human life? Yes, it does, actually. Does the Bible speak to the issues of hard work? Uh, and of engaging in economics and being fair in economics? Yes, it does, actually. There, there are political issues that we look at now that are actually biblical truths that are built into that. If the church never speaks on that, the people in the pew just assume, I can just do what I want. I can be a socialist. I can do whatever it may be because it just doesn't matter because the Bible doesn't speak to these issues when it does. So speak the whole word of God. You know, Don't be afraid of the political issues of the day. Uh, but bring truth to it, uh, bring a biblical uh, worldview to it. Uh, I'm not saying preach from the newspaper, but if there's a big issue that's happening in culture right now, the people that are sitting in the pew expect the pastor to be able to speak to, what does the Bible say about this issue? Does the Bible say anything about this? And I don't mean change your sermon every week, but there is some benefit to pausing for a couple of minutes uh, at the beginning of a sermon and saying, hey, this was in the news and everybody saw it and probably everybody's talking about it at work and school. Let's talk about what God says about this, and let's talk about what the truth of this is, and then trying to get involved. And if there's somebody that is involved in politics uh, in your church and around your church, uh, the, the church is a nonprofit organization, but that doesn't mean it can't be involved in what's happening in a community conversation. Uh, it's still an open public building, and uh, you can have town halls there, you can have engagements there, you can have Q&As there, you can, uh, even political activities can happen there as long as it's open to everybody to be able to use it. Yeah, talk about standing up for justice, and uh, I, I find one of the best ways to bring a, a debate back to truth is to take the extreme. And so you say, well, if, if what if the pastors, and many of them did actually, in Germany in the late 30s said, well, I'm not going to stand up for the Jews, that's politics. Yeah. And you, you look now backwards and you go, what in the world could you have been thinking? And today we see one and a half million babies slaughtered in the womb in this country, and a pastor turns around and says, well, that's politics. Just politics. Yeah. No, that's justice. Yeah. Yeah, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, some amazing truths and things that he wrote during that time period of struggling as a pastor in Germany and saying, what's the role of the church when we're watching the state roll over basic human rights and dignities? When human rights and dignities, things that we know that God values, are being destroyed, how can we be silent on that and to say that we're consistent with Scripture? As we wrap up, we've talked about politics we've established what, what a godly guy you are and that you're not yeah, I'm, I'm a guy on a journey like every other guy i'm i'm not perfect by any means but i'm, I'm a guy on a journey with god you're a guy in politics who's not a politician is that yeah, fair that's fair what are the races that we really need to pay attention to that if you would encourage the people if we know montana yeah, mutual friend Montana's of ours big one, yep. get busy vote for steve yeah, Steve Dane's a remarkable guy yeah. yeah what else give us a few others that you're saying hey christians man we've got to mobilize around these races? Which, which ones are those? Yeah, I, I really do encourage people to go get involved and to be able to get engaged, do their research, and to be able to ask hard questions. Uh, all these races, there's millions of dollars of ads that are out there trying to be able to make everyone look the same mm. or to try to be able to destroy people's actual integrity. Go, go, go do your research and to be able to find out what's really going on on this. 
Uh, it's not an unreasonable thing to do. Montana's a huge race. Iowa is a big race. Uh, uh, Arizona's a big race. Um, uh, North Carolina, uh, two races in Georgia uh, are very, very significant in the Senate. Um, uh, I, I'm already missing some, I know, on it. Uh, the, the, Minnesota, there's several Min Minnesota uh, yeah, and uh, coming back into um, Alabama and into... Um, you know, one of your friends, is Michigan. Go, dude. How could I know? You I know it, they're, they're going to come back and say, "How did you leave out Maine? How did you? How did you do that? You know, uh, to be able to come through it." But yeah, there, there, there are quite a few races, and people know. I mean, in the state they're in, they've seen millions of dollars of ads. Uh, most of the ads are out there are paid by people that don't even live in that state. Uh, there are people that live in other states that pour tons of money and say, "If the Senate's going to swing, and my senator is going to get more swing, it's going to be because we take the Senate back in that race over there." And so just know that most of the ads that are out there are not paid by people that live actually in your state. They're people that have decisions, but you live in that state. You get to actually make the decision to be able to look at it and to be able to decide what, what direction things are really going to go. I know some of these folks. I, I'm in a Bible study every week with Steve Daines. Steve Daines and I started uh, six years ago a Bible study among senators uh, that we've got some senators that come that have never been involved in a Bible study ever in their life. We're just sitting down and going verse That's by awesome. verse through scripture. It's been great. We do it early morning on a Tuesday morning, and uh, we're not trying to be fancy about it, but we're just walking through verse by verse through scripture and just having this kind of dialogue uh, on the truth of scripture and how does it really apply to our life on it. Um, Steve Dane's been a great brother and a great friend through this, uh, but when you get a chance to take the titles off and you see 100 senders there, you also realize there's just 100 people that are there that are all trying to be able to figure out what they're going to do in life, what they're going to do in this task. And for those that are interested in being able to walk with God, what they're going to do in a walk with God. So if I'm sitting, listening to this right now, I've heard you, I'm charged up. I'm sitting in Des Moines, Iowa, and I'm like, we got to get Joni Ernst reelected. Yeah, what do I amazing. do? Yeah. What, what do I do? As, I, as I'm the average Joe, how do I get involved? What, yeah. So if, if you contact any of these campaigns, they will, they will tell you exactly how you can be involved. Number one is show up and vote. I'm amazed at the number of people say, yeah, that's really important, but I don't actually vote because I don't want to go through all of it. It's just amazing to me uh, how many people actually don't even show up and vote. Uh, but people that do get engaged and do get informed, you have an influence with other people as well. Uh, you can turn to five other people and say, hey, have you voted yet? I voted for Joni Ernst, for instance, in Iowa. I voted for Joni. And so what, what have you voted yet? And I said, I don't know who to vote for. It. I mean, it, it's amazing the number of people that I meet. I, I met a guy when I came into the airport in Colorado, and I told him, hey, I'm a great friend of Corey Gardner. Do you know about Corey Gardner and the race? It's a big race here. And he's like, yeah, I haven't fallen any of this. I don't know. Is there a race coming up? Mm. I'm like, really? <laughs> There's $80 million in ads that are being poured into Colorado. You would think it's everywhere. But still, a lot of people are like, yeah, they just all confuse me. I don't want to do it. Talking to other people and saying, okay, here's why this matters. And here's who I'm voting for. There are a lot of people that say, okay, if you trust him. You've already done the research. I'm glad to be able to step up and do that as well. People should use the influence that God has given them for good and to be able to stay engaged in that. So that's why the ground game they always talk about. The grassroots oh, yeah. is so yeah. important because the average Joe can go out there and convince four or five people. That can make a monster difference yeah. in, a, in a statewide race. That's correct. I've, I've seen lots of races that have been won or lost based on two or three people per precinct in a state. Amazing. Two or three. Uh, we, we had a race in Oklahoma uh, this last year that it was 15 people made the difference between the two. 15. Uh, so it, it, the, the numbers can get really, really small as far as the difference here. So for all the folks that say, hey, my vote doesn't matter. No one really cares. There's millions of votes. Not in that race. There's not. And that race, it really does matter. And just ask Broward County in 2000. Oh, yeah. How much a vote mattered. Yeah. And I hope we don't have another 2000 year. And there, there's a there's a real chance that when the presidential elections it's come and gone. 
at late night on November the 3rd, we don't know who won uh, because we'll have so many mail-ins, so many other ballots coming in. It could be weeks before we know who wins the presidential election this year. Amazing. So as we wrap up, is there a last thing you want to say to everybody? I would say uh, don't be afraid to be able to go where God calls you to go. I, I have no idea where God's calling each individual to go. And the funny thing is you don't either. Uh, but there's a big difference when you actually pause for a moment and say, God, I'm willing to follow you wherever you want me to go. Where do you want to, what do you want me to go? What so do you want me to do? Looking from a youth pastor yeah. who ran a camp, who's now a senator, sitting right. senator of the United States, yeah. riding on Air Force One next to President Trump. Yeah, by the way, the youth camp was a lot more fun, but that's yeah, all right. different issue. Probably a lot less criticism too. <laughs> there, was, there was a lot there as well. The but slides yeah. need to be repaired. You know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's a whole different atmosphere there. Well, thanks, brother. It's just a pr privilege to be your friend. You bet. It's good to be able to be on this board and uh, grateful for what Promise Keepers is doing around, literally around the world and uh, what people are stepping up to do. Uh, because Promise Keepers is not just about what's happening around the world. It's about each individual man deciding that they're actually going to walk with God and they're going to help their wife walk with God. They're going to help with their children walk with God and they're going to be an influencer where they are. There is no substitute for that. And if you want to see the challenge that we have as a nation, the biggest challenge that we have as a nation, men are being men. Oh boy. And godly men are not walking with God as godly men to be able to do it. If the godly men of this nation would actually love their wife, love their children, and would actually walk with God in their workplace, we would not have the nation that we're in right now. Pastor and Senator Lankford, thanks, man. Good to see you. Thanks for listening to On the Edge Podcast with Ken Harrison. For a lot of you, this is our first time meeting, and I want to tell the men listening about an organization I'm the current chairman of, Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers is an organization founded by Coach Bill McCartney that's led men across the world to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Promise Keepers is calling men back to courageous and bold servant leadership. To learn more and get involved in the mission of Promise Keepers, visit promisekeepers.org. Follow on social media or download the Promise Keepers app on Apple Store or Google Play by searching Promise Keepers. Through the Promise Keepers app, you'll receive access to devotionals, Bible studies, and other great articles and video content, and a community to build friendships, lead your family, and become transformative leaders. See you next time for On the Edge with Ken Harrison. Mm -hmm.